Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sound of Play.
Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 74 is Leah Haydu. Hello, happy holidays. Hi, Leah. Happy birthday. No, happy. You're not. It's not your birthday. It's my not auntie's quite, birthday. Yeah. No. I got, got, you, got you muddled up. Got you muddled <laughs> up with my auntie there for some reason. Uh, yeah. Hello. And uh, yes, this is our last Sound of Play uh, of the year 2016 and wow what a lineup of tracks we have in store uh so this is a show without uh community requests for once uh i would like to say that uh because a little while ago i put a shout out to the community asking for people to come and join me on sound of play and i'm going to continue with that we've only done one or two so far um but in the new year i shall be getting uh, more of those of you who contacted me back on the show to uh, talk about some of your favourite music. But this Sound of Play, 74, uh, we are going to be completely self-indulgent. And uh, I asked everyone on the Cana Rinse crew, the team, there's uh, 11 of us in total currently, uh, to pick one of their favourite pieces of video games music from the past year. Now, that's not necessarily from a piece of uh, from a game that was released in, in the last year, but I think the majority of the 11, the 11 tracks are uh, with a few odds and outliers and indeed you will have heard the opening track there was from uh 65 days of static and their notable soundtrack for the uh much talked about video game no man's sky nice and that one <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah i feel i've i've talked about it a lot i've uh, probably for more hours than i've actually played it at this point um but yeah it's like a, it's a story an event unto itself but uh, i'm i'm monitoring its progress uh, with interest as as the updates continue to arrive um mm. it's sounded like people uh, were were pleasantly surprised by that recent update uh, and so yeah long may that continue i have not uh, i have not played uh, no man's sky um it didn't really seem like my kind of thing but just how right. it's how it's been everything around it has just been mm. fascinating in both a good and a bad way to follow yeah neat yeah Absolutely. Uh, so that was requested by our Sean. And uh, he says there is certainly a lot to debate about regarding No Man's Sky. But I think one thing most people can agree on is how evocative and transcendent 65 Days of Static soundtrack can be throughout most of their experience with the game. I don't think there's a single track on the OST that I would skip. But for my money, Heliosphere perfectly encapsulates the general emotion I felt during my time with No Man's Sky. Most of the tracks we heard leading up to release always had a faster more upbeat tone to them with a lot of quick drums and a general sense of excitement behind them and while no man's sky can have moments like that the majority of my time was spent quietly staring at the stars feeding the local wildlife and roaming the quiet and colorful lands every time i listened to heliosphere from its proteus meets vangelis like opening to its slow build-up and intense crescendo i'm immediately transported right back to my favorite planets and I go back to that feeling of wonder and discovery that I was fortunate enough to experience with almost every planet I landed on. There we go. Thanks, Sean. And we'll be hearing more from that OST later. Now, I'm going to go next. Uh, and this was a piece that I picked. It wasn't so much about the specific piece, although having now listened back to it, uh, I think I... Uh, I, I'm very happy with my selection. It was more about um, thinking of a soundtrack that, that I found very pleasant and complemented my, my gaming experience in, this year uh, in some way. It wasn't necessarily a game, Unravel, that would have um, sort of bust into my 
you know, my very, very favorite games of the year. But I played it um, when I got a free month of EA Access when I got my uh, Xbox One S. So I had uh, a, a few weeks to play it in, basically. And um, I'd seen everyone cooing over Yarny when this was first announced at E3. Yeah, and um, I kind of missed all that because I really don't kind of do the whole E3 thing and I try to avoid too much about games before they come out. Um, but when the chance arrived, you know, it's, it hadn't arrived on on Games with Gold or PlayStation Plus at this point and uh, I think it had been relatively cheap in a sale, but there it was. It was it was the game that I had on, on Access that I wanted to play. So I played it over a few nights and uh, for the most part, I enjoyed it very much i thought the puzzles were a little repetitive uh, i think they kind of um they 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 ran out of ideas uh, in terms of what they could do without making it i think the issue was that if they tried other things it would have become too complicated um with the mechanics that they had on offer um but some of the puzzles that were in there were ingenious and very satisfying. It's just that I felt like they kind of retrod a lot of the same ground level after level. However, what I will say about the game is that the visuals were just gloriously astonishing. That, that was uh, always the thing yeah. that, uh, that really drew me in about Unravel. And I haven't played much of it. I, I've watched more than I've played. Uh, mm. But I, it, it didn't seem like the actual gameplay was necessarily particularly challenging or particularly... Uh, deep but the visuals are just they're so good they're just so beautiful and uh, and I, I really enjoyed that part of it mm. intensely beautiful and yeah as I say complemented by this uh, by this uh, folksy soundtrack um, Scandinavian type music and this is a piece it's called Snowfall from the absolutely gorgeous snowy areas in the game uh, from the soundtrack by Freddy Johansson and Henrik uh, Oya I think uh, and this is a piece that we could have easily picked in our recent uh, Sound of Play Christmas show. Uh, it, it's very much got that vibe to it, um, sort of uh, whimsical in a, in a, and yes, yes, folksy, folksy is the word that I would use. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little rustic and um, introspective. Uh, and yeah, I enjoy it very much and I hope you will too, because it's uh, it's over six and a half minutes long. That's a bit of a theme in this show, quite lengthy tracks. Um, but yeah, I think, I think this may be, in my opinion, like one of the strongest sets of, um, sets of music we've had in, in any sound of play so far. Uh, I've given it the big build up now, but, uh, but enjoy Snowfall from Unravel.
that was from Unravel. Of course, that's a game that's on our famous, enormous, long list of video games that we would like to cover in the future on Cane and Rinse, uh, maybe someday. Uh, another event that happened this year uh, was that we added somebody to the Cane and Rinse team. Hey. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and that's always a treat. And we finally added a regular female voice to the crew, uh, which is also something that, uh, you know, we we wanted to do um but not in a in a in an opportunistic or tokenistic <laughs> way but we wanted to do it because it was the right time the right person and lo leah hadu you were at a loose end <laughs> and, true, uh, yes i i, and I missed podcasting in. um for the time that i was out of it so i was i was very happy to uh to come back in and uh been having a lovely time and the, the, the track that I have chosen, um, I actually didn't know until relatively recently that I was going to, uh, to be on this particular recording. So I, I had written something and I think that I would just like to read it because it pretty much, uh, it pretty sure. much, it sums up what I, what I feel about this piece here, uh, which is, uh, as you will hear from, uh, The Wind Waker, which is a show that, um, we, uh, did, um, in issue... 231 i believe it was uh mm -hmm. so um that that is one of my favorite games of all time and uh, i really enjoyed the issue as well uh so what i wrote was i played a lot of games this year much like any other year and normally if asked to pick out my most significant piece of music it'd probably be something fresh something that made a strong impression on me the piece i've picked the great sea from the legend of zelda the wind waker did make a strong impression on me in the early 2000s when I played it for the first time. I've played the game a couple of times since then, and anyone who has heard me talk about Zelda over that span of time has likely heard me refer to it as my favorite Zelda. This is still indisputably true. It's not exactly new, however, and given that I've played so many games this year, you'd think that I might have come across something that would stick out a bit more on an end-of-year retrospective. When I looked at my list to pick something out, though, it really had, couldn't have been anything else. I did play the HD version of Wind Waker this year. No big deal, right? We all replay our favorites from time to time. What makes this different is that I played it for a specific purpose, namely Kanan Rance issue 231, on which I was still a special guest. I was only on one more podcast before I became a full team member, and if I hadn't messaged Tony back at the end of 2015 to express interest and to point out that I do have a Triforce tattoo, that mm -hmm. probably wouldn't have happened. So, Zelda has had a pretty big impact on how I game and how I talk about gaming this year in the best possible way. And as Wind Waker is still my favorite, although Minish Cap, also played for Kane and Rinse this year, is surprisingly high up on the list, I felt that I had to choose one of its tracks. I like this one. So thanks, Zelda, and thanks, Kane and Rinse friends. I'm excited for 2017. So, uh, the track that I have chosen is uh, The Great Sea. Uh, from The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker by Kenta Nagata, Hajime Wakai, Koru Minigishi, and Koji Kondo. Um, as, as is the case, uh, it is kind of a, a mixture of composers who, uh, who have uh, pulled this soundtrack together. Um, this is the piece that you will hear a lot when you are traversing the world. So you hear it a lot, uh, particularly in the earlier version of The Wind Waker, where there's a lot more sailing to do. Uh, but I always kind of felt that was okay because I really do enjoy this piece of music um, so beautiful let's hear it
marvellous expansive stuff there from the wind waker and as uh, as we've implied listeners to the other podcast the cane and rinse podcast in which we discuss games if you don't know because i'm, I'm sure we do have some sound of play only listeners uh, who have come by this uh, as hearing hearing about it as a video games music show which it is but I'm going to guess if you like video games music, you also like video games. So you should check out our Cane and Rinse podcast. And uh, so far, uh, and this was throughout the course of 2016, we started at the original The Legend of Zelda, more of which later, uh, from 1986. And we worked our way through month by month uh, up to the point where uh, our run of shows ended. And that was Phantom Hourglass, I believe. So that was, we got up to the 2007 DS game uh, and we will be doing more The Legend of Zelda uh, in 2017. The original plan based around the original release date of Breath of the Wild was that we would incorporate it into that series but uh, unfortunately it won't be, uh, it will be too new really for us to cover uh, at the time so we're going to get to the end of this uh, run of Zelda games so we still have a few to go and then we'll give it a nice uh, rest and see see what happens with Breath of the Wild both in terms of its initial reception, see if there's any uh, re re reception to the reception and uh, and see how it stands the test of time as we like to do on Kane and Rinse uh, we, we try to uh, do our critiquing outside of the hype zone, outside of the backlash zone and try to not bear any of that stuff in mind so, so we shall see um, but I think it's fair to say that everybody on the Kane and Rinse podcast pretty much is looking forward to A Breath of the Wild because oh, yeah. the footage we've seen so far looks most promising and it looks like they've kind of, you know, they're going, they're, they're expanding on the Zelda thing and even perhaps taking influences from, you know, other franchises, both Western and Eastern. I'm thinking Dark Souls and Witcher and all these other things, but without, hopefully, without losing the, the, the thrust of what Zelda is, is, is about, which is, you know, it's um, as much as it's immersion and it's kind of RPG-ness, it's got to have, it's got to have puzzles and, and beautifully designed uh, intricate areas to to uh, solve as well as kind of the open world stuff uh, and i'm sure it will i'm i'm well i'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> i think so i mean it, it looks like from from the uh the previews that uh that we've all been seeing I, it i i have a lot of hope for it uh and i'm i'm pretty excited for it i'm just trying to decide whether i want to uh play it on the wii u or on the switch yeah yeah that's going to be a tough one uh, they've they've done exactly what they did with the Wii and the GameCube with Twilight Princess. They're yeah. going to release the Switch version one week before the Wii U version, um, because uh, well, for for obvious reasons, I would suggest. Uh, but yes, obviously the temp the temptation of of knowing that you will be able to play it uh, port portably as well, yes. and uh, and you know it may be that it's enhanced when it's on the Switch as well in some ways, but we shall see uh, more more in January. Uh, and yes, continue our Zelda series on Kane and Rince. Uh, we'll be back with Spirit Tracks in January. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we have uh, another uh, another one of the newer members of the Cana Rinse team. And forgive me, Mikhail, but I can't remember exactly at what point you joined. Um, it may have been earlier this year. It may have been before that. Um, it all—it's one of those. It happened organically. <laughs> uh, 
And I, I wanted to say, Leah, as well, like you messaged Tony about being on the Zelda shows, but it, it was absolutely not, uh, it wasn't Tony's idea that we asked you to come on board uh, solely. It was it was, uh, it was was a discussion between Jay and I that happened uh, kind of outside of everything else. And uh, so, yeah, there was there was no nepotism there. There was no <laughs> there was no vested interest. This was this was uh, purely based on uh, talent spotting. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and Mikhail also, um, yeah, he, uh, he, I think he messaged me on Facebook and we just started talking about games. And I realized that he and I were kindred spirits, particularly in our passion for, uh, you know, sort of older stuff, maybe 16, 32 bit era um, arcade games and stuff like that. And, uh, and he has a lot of the same kind of uh, tastes that I do. And uh, so, yes, he was another natural fit. He's also done writing. He also works in the industry sporadically. He's recently completed the uh, the entire translation of the Dutch version of Watch Dogs 2 for Ubisoft. So Yeah, I, uh, I, I had a, no idea about that. No. We were talking about it on a, pri- on a previous recording. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but Mikhail, um, appropriately enough, has picked a piece uh, not from... Uh, a brand new game and indeed it's a piece that the version he picks is from a 2012 game but actually the original track dates back to 1995 but uh, McKeel says by late 2015 I bought a game I'd been looking to acquire for quite some time already the original Project Cross Zone for the Nintendo 3DS I immediately started playing it and although it's a game of many flaws I enjoyed it very much As far as strategy RPGs go, Project Cross Zone isn't very challenging at all and even quite shallow, but I enjoyed the simple juggle and combo crazy combat sequences, trying to squeeze as much damage out of each encounter as I could and the sheer crossover joy that seeing iconic characters from staple Japanese game development and publishing houses intermingle can bring. Project Cross Zone's European release came in the same year as Fire Emblem Awakening and an entry in my most beloved series in the genre. I was quite burned out on Awakening far before I reached the end game, and although I rate both just about the same for different reasons, I must admit that I enjoyed Project Cross Zone quite a bit more. Short, the long drawn out battles were with not too much going on can wear on your patience, but whenever I was about to tune out, it was demonic duo Dimitri and Dante's turn to do damage and in came Dimitri's catchy and energetic theme that filled me with exuberance and made me sit up and tend to the tactical proceedings with renewed vigour. I had never played the sequel to the original Darkstalkers that the original version of this track is from, but over the course of the first couple of months of 2016, Dimitri's theme had wormed itself into my ears like no other piece of video game music this year.
piece I love as well. Good choice, Mikhail. Theme of Dimitri by Hideki Okagawa from Project Cross Zone, the 2012 uh, in Japan. It was 2013 elsewhere. Uh, major mashup game from Ban Presto and Monolith Soft and Bandai Namco and features uh, characters from Sega and Capcom and uh, Namco and goodness knows who else. But that piece originally, of course, is from uh, the sequel to the first uh, vampire game or Darkstalkers. Uh, Vampire Hunter Darkstalkers Revenge, also known as Night Warriors. Uh, and that is, of course, Capcom's horror-themed fighting game franchise. Speaking of horror, ooh, I accidentally segued there. See, done. I know, it's good, isn't it? Uh, so another game we covered on the Kane and Rince podcast this year uh, was one that I have yet to properly play. As much as I am a fan of the uh, the the IP on which it is based, if I can call it that, the franchise, Alien Isolation, obviously a survival horror game, a mainly running away game, as I understand it, and mm-hmm. hiding a lot. Uh, so this was covered uh, some months, uh, actually only a couple of months back, wasn't it, towards the end of the year in uh, issue 242, and we had uh, Andy Kelly, of course, uh, of PC Gamer on on this one, so that was uh, that was a treat as well. Uh, but yes, Josh loves his movies, loves his Alien, and loved Alien: Isolation, and he's requested a piece from that. He says, "Lower Hospital" is a reworking of the track "Hypersleep" by the amazing Jerry Goldsmith from the original 1979 film Alien. Normally, I wouldn't pick a piece of music that originates from a different medium for sound to play, even if it differs from the original version. But this particular track marks the exact point where I realised Creative Assembly knew exactly what they were doing. You slowly skulk your way into an open area of the Sevastopol. A blast shield lifts, revealing a window into the vacuum of space. It's a stunning vista of the gas giant the station is orbiting and the deep black void beyond. And then this track kicks in. It's a pillow moment, a chance to contemplate the vastness of space and just how small you are compared to it. Because, after all, Alien wasn't just about the xenomorph, it was about how little we understand the universe and our place within it. This moment let me know Creative Assembly understood that and any worries I had about the experience faded, as I knew I was in good hands. Alien Isolation is one of my favourite experiences of 2016, and this track best represents why. Enjoy! Thank you. 
So that's Lower Hospital, um, and it's credited thusly. Original alien themes by Jerry Goldsmith, orchestral arrangements and new music composed by Christian Henson, Joe Henson and Alexis Smith. Uh, Leah, are you somebody who gets a kick out of uh, running away simulators, cowering games? The, I, the, the I absolutely love survival horror games uh, and horror games in general. I have not played Alien Isolation yet, mm. uh, but I did pick it up on some PSN sale or other. So it's sitting on my uh, on my PS4 hard drive waiting. Um, I've heard that it is terrifying. Um, yeah. and And I... Um, what it kind of makes me think of uh, calling it a running away simulator is um, there there was a recent um, Kane and Rince podcast on um, the uh, Amnesia, the Dark Descent, mm-hmm. uh, yes. which is very similar. You can't fight anything. You just have to run away and hide and not be seen so that you don't die horribly. And this seems like pretty much the same thing. Um, so I, I think that I once I get into it, I'm probably going to uh, be a little bit of a baby about it but I, I, I i'm sure that i will actually love it too because i i am a big fan of um the original alien movies mm. um so uh i i'm pretty excited about playing it but yes i have not yet mm, yeah me too it's it's yeah it's a tricky one for me because those kind of games do not play well with my natural game style I, mm. as much as i love the original alien and and you know the fact that they have no weapons and mm. it's the one alien and, and and all that good stuff uh i've certainly I've understood why video games have tended to lean on aliens yeah. more. Yeah. Um, and I've, you know, I've enjoyed playing, uh, going all the way back to the Aliens Konami arcade game and Alien Trilogy, which was a, a first person shooter. And obviously the two Alien 3 games on console. We've had lots of um, alien kind of F- ba- alien based FPSs. Now I have uh, played Aliens Colonial Marines. Ah, oh, yes. Well, we God. did. Yeah, we did do a podcast on that as well, which was a lot of fun. Um, I'm sure yeah. that it was. I've listened yeah. to it. Um, yeah, no, it's um, it's not a good game. It's not a good game. Yeah, we had. It was one of those where, like, yeah. Well, listen to the show, folks. Uh, yeah. Seek it out. Kane and Rince, Alien, uh, Aliens, Colonial Marines. Uh, it was it was interesting to talk about. There are also some videos out there of us uh, on Darren Gargett's channel of of four of us playing it in carp, and we, we I bet did that have been fun. We did have a good laugh. Yeah. Uh, so, game entertained us. You know what can we say? Um, yeah. Uh, next up, how about you take this one, Leah? For Tony. All right, sure. Yeah, this is uh, this is Tony's choice, and uh, he says, although everybody's gone to the Rapture came out last year, I only played it around the back end of this year, and Jessica Curry's soundtrack propelled itself into being one of my all-time favorites. Like the game itself, it's both haunting and ethereal, driving a mysterious narrative. The track I've picked is called Slipping Away, which beautifully encapsulates both the fear and maybe relief of that moment at the end of our mortality. So the track is Slipping Away by Jessica Curry, uh, and it is from Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, which will be covered in issue 251 of the Kane and Rinse podcast. Uh, So have a listen.
wonderful from Jessica Curry, sadly no longer in the industry. Uh, it's a it's a great loss uh, to video games uh, and video game music, I would say. But uh, she has reasons which have been um, uh, articulated in, in various interviews and stuff uh, out there on the internet. So seek those out. But yes, I played everybody. I played through everybody's gone to the rapture uh, on uh, Christmas Eve. Um, it's uh, and it, it's not a Christmassy kind of game in some ways, um, although it has uh, it has sort of spiritual reverie in it. It's um, it's uh, I mean I, I don't want to give anything away for people who haven't played it. Uh, we will give everything away on that aforementioned first Kane and Rince podcast back of the new season. I'm actually not on that. I just decided to play along with the show. Yeah, um, I, because... I'm in the same situation. I'm, <laughs> right. I'm not I'm not on the show, and I haven't played the game yet, but I'm intending to mm. before the the show goes on. Um, just because Recommend I it. want to. Uh... I want to go through it and be able to actually listen to the show when it goes up. Yeah, uh, and I and I say this sometimes, and I realise that it could it could come across as as arrogant in some way, but actually I don't mean it this way. But it's really fun sometimes uh, for me to just get to listen to Kana Rince when I when it's a show I've had nothing to do with. Because do you know what? I think it's a really good video games podcast, and um, it is. And I, and I can to it say that I was on it. I can say that because I, I, I'm talking about the ones that I'm not on uh, and I get to hear sort of what it's like to to, yeah, just, uh, you know, to be a punter and to uh, particularly talk, you know, when they, when it's about a game that uh, either I have or I haven't played. So sometimes it's just as much fun to listen to the ones that the games that I don't know much about and I can find myself being inspired to play them. It's it's um, but, different when you're when you're mm, on a show and listening to that mm, show because if you are on a show that you're now listening to you're thinking oh well where are the technical glitches where did I say something wrong where oh, did this yeah, but if you're yeah. not on it then you can just enjoy it and it's kind of lovely yeah absolutely uh, and yes uh, I yeah I I I don't even know I I don't want to say too much about everybody's gone to the rapture but I did enjoy it um, it's and... a shorter game isn't it. Yeah, it's it's like five hours in total. I'd say it's it's kind of um, it's split into the stories of multiple characters. Mm -hmm. uh, although you play this kind of you know non non protagonist because you you are basically a camera uh, in in the world, um, walking from place to place and um, you know piecing piecing the story together. It's it's effectively it's a you know it's a interactive story um, rather than a game. Um, you can get you. Can, you can get lost a little bit, but it will it will pull you out of a hole. But it's really it's kind of an interactive drama. And actually, the the the, the three word review, if I if I was allowed to submit one, my, mine would probably be. And this possibly won't mean anything to you, but it would be uh, would be um, Archers meets X Files. Now, the Archers is a long long running radio uh, 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 like um, country uh, rural uh, radio soap mm -hmm. opera that's been going over here since the I don't know when forties, fifties, something like that. I think I've heard um, the name. Yeah, it's it's very famous over here. It's you know it's like it's the middle class radio soap opera, mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, uh, and it's yeah it's this strange it's a strange mishmash. Everybody's gone to the rapture of sort of English radio play and um, an American sci fi drama, uh, but yeah, set because it's set in this um, albeit fictional Shropshire village in the eighties. Uh, I used to go and visit Shropshire as a child <laughs> in the eighties because it's where my dad lived, so mm -hmm. it had that sort of extra little. Um, extra little uh, element yeah. of atmosphere as well. But yes, uh, Tony and co will talk at length and explore every nook and cranny and talk about every corner. But that amazing music is is definitely one of the highlights of the experience for me. So I'd say it would, Leo, it would be worth playing yeah, just to hear all the soundtrack in its place, even if even if the game 
doesn't you know maybe maybe you know it might not do so much for you story i mean the, it's really comes down to whether you like the story or yeah, not but yeah. the the music is ex- is extraordinary well, i'm excited Speaking of which, a game that uh, both you, uh, well, you you said, uh, because you quite rightly picked a piece from this for our Christmas show. Yeah. Uh, and Carl's pick here is, it could have could have just as easily been your pick. Yes. It's a different piece. Yes. As it well, the, out. the whole game is, um, is set in a winter, uh, in a winter mm. season. Uh, so you're, you're doing a lot of walking around in the snow and, and the soundtrack does reflect that there's a lot of piano, um, and it, I, I love the soundtrack more than I love the game actually, but, um, yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed, um, many of the, uh, the, the tracks from that, including, uh, the one that, that Carl has chosen here. All right, so he says, I've not actually played the game, but find the soundtrack absolutely majestic in all the ways the best JRPG soundtracks seem to be, with their ability to transport you to worlds you've never seen or imagined prior to hearing the music. The piece I've chosen is called Winter Journey's Tale, which, much like the rest of the I Am Setsuna score, is very piano-heavy and melodic. Miyoki is somewhat of a prodigious talent who composed and wrote on the score of Soul Calibur V at only 19. Now 23, he's scoring JRPG soundtracks at a level I'd associate more with the likes of Nobuo Uematsu. I Am Setsuna is a wonderful score throughout, but had to pick Winter Journey's Tale as we enter into the winter months ourselves. Wonderful piece, I'm sure you'll agree. Yeah, I, I completely agree. This uh, Everything in here just really does put you in that space of being able to, uh, to to kind of feel that the characters are going through this sort of isolated world. It's not The, the soundtrack isn't big and overblown and complicated it's it's pretty simplistic with the piano being kind of the main thing that you hear uh as as will become clear in this track So, Leah, I was watching Rogue One the other day. Ooh. 
this is I'm offered a tangent here. Okay. Uh, no, no spoilers will be offered. Okay, well, thank uh, you. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> okay, and I'm sure many of our listeners won't have quite yet because this podcast will be out uh, just before the new year, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm sure many people were waiting for the for the for the buzz to die down. And to be honest, given the audience we got at our showing, um, even in uh, uh, one of the sort of independent type, slightly more upmarket type cinemas, mm-hmm. it was a terrible audience. Oh, very sure. noisy. Very very. Um, disruptive and uh, lots of movement and lateness and talking and getting up and down and yeah. anyway but by the by I enjoyed the movie overall uh, I would say it is not without its flaws but uh, I came out very pleased um, more overtly pleased than I'd say after my first viewing of Force Awakens mm. uh, I've, heard, I've heard very good things and I, I am excited yeah. to see it but yeah I'm I'm not inclined towards going to the cinema these days. Uh, I will make exceptions, mm. but um, mm. it, it takes it takes something pretty big. This might be it, but it does take something pretty big. Yeah. Well, the reason I mention it is because uh, one of the characters I noticed uh, that has been, it, it, he's very much placed in the background. Um, there were a couple of sort of older generals in the, in the original episode four, mm-hmm. uh, or Commander Willard and General Dodonna, and and I can't remember which one's which, and they've both been they've both been recast with lookalikes, but neither is a speaking part, I don't think. But when I was a kid, right, I was five years old when I first saw Star Wars, and I saw it at the cinema lots of times, and films used to come around the cinema again and stuff like that because mm-hmm. there weren't video releases and DVDs, so they just used to yeah. you know kind of show them again. So I used to get taken back to see the same film. When I was a kid, and uh, as a young South of England kid, I thought that uh, Princess Leia's name was pronounced Leah. And the reason for that is because one of the English actors who played either Willard or Dodonna mm-hmm. pronounces it that in the yes. film. And George Lucas being George Lucas just didn't just bother to do it. another take. And, you know, I suppose you could say, well, it could have been a character. Yeah. You know, it could have been the character mistake saying that they didn't know how the name, although, you know, she was a a princess and, and whatever else um so my assumption was that it was all the american characters who were saying it with an american accent and and if you're english you said it princess leah so me and i think a lot of my friends said said leah so uh obviously i know your name is not spelled the same as leia it is not uh, but i have gotten that a lot particularly yeah. I, mean, I i grew up in the 80s so i right that that was not an unheard of thing even now every once in a sure. while i will get it um not uh, not as frequently, but yes, uh, growing up, I, I definitely did uh, get Princess Leah uh, from time to time. Now, when you say your name, is it more on the Leah side or should it be more on the Leah side? No, it's it's Leah. Um, I, okay. my, uh, I'm actually named after my uh, my great grandmother. Um, so, yes, Leah. OK, that's good. I'll respond and... to many things, but um, but yes, <laughs> the way I okay. say it. And I'm also curious about, I'm fascinated in sort of history and sure. origin of etymology. Your surname is quite an unusual one. Yeah, it's uh, Hungarian. Do you know where it's from? Uh, yes. Hungarian. Uh-huh. My, um, so my, my last name is Heydu. And yeah. um, I uh, my father's side of the family, which obviously the last name came from, um, mm. my uh, I, I have relatives who actually do still live in Hungary. Um, I've never been to Hungary. I came pretty close once um, when I was traveling in England and uh, and the surrounding area uh, all over yeah. Europe, really. Um, and uh, it, it was basically a matter of traveling out there would have taken a, a, a number of days off of the time that yeah. we had. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would still like to go out there uh, one day, but um, yes, my my uh, my dad's side of the family is very Hungarian, um, and that that is where the last name came from. 
And that's hey do, not hi do. Uh, it's <laughs> hey, yeah, it's hey do. Yeah. Um, See? And it's, it's a minefield. Yeah, I know, right? It's, it's very difficult. But um, I believe <laughs> that the original spelling actually was H A J D U. And yeah. now it is H A Y. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's just something that was changed, you know, over the years. Uh, yeah. See, I'm I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I may be alone. I oh, know I'm not alone, but uh, I may be in a minority, but I find that stuff very interesting. Um, we had uh, Joe Tikaz on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so long ago, and I was recently on his podcast, uh, Gamer Joe Radio, in mm-hmm. which we talked about video gaming and mental health. So, listeners, if you're curious about uh, he and I talking about our experiences with uh, less than optimal mental health yeah, and definitely. our relationship with video games, check that out. But yeah, he's he's uh, I think his name is Polish rather than Hungarian, but uh, he he says Tkaz, and and uh, you know he's done the research on that. But it looks to me like it should be pronounced something very very different to mm-hmm. that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. Uh, another uh, another person with a name who uh, who can't pronounce his own name right, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> is uh, is our Ryan uh, Ryan Heyman. Uh, which is how he says it as an American person, and and as well he might, but actually uh, there's a German there's a German footballer with the same name, and it's a German name, and it's Haman. So uh, really, we should call him that. But uh, I, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna say he's uh, he's appropriated it uh, for for his uh, for his American ways, crazy and that's okay. So yeah, crazy Americans and. Um, and uh, yes, Ryan, uh, regular listeners may or may not know, uh, Ryan will c- continue to be hosting uh, every other Sound of Play. Uh, and editing uh, sound of, the Sound of Play shows that he's on and editing some of the Kane and Rince podcast, but he will not for the foreseeable future be appearing on the Kane and Rince podcast as a host or panellist uh, because it uh, he, he's got a rather exciting job at Nintendo uh, and they are very cautious about um, members of their staff giving editorial opinions and mm-hmm. things like that. So, um, so I mean, yeah, massive congratulations to Ryan. Uh, yeah. We talked about it on the show. Um, but obviously we will miss him for the time being from the panel. However, uh, I did invite him, of course, to uh, name one of his favourite picks from the year... Uh, the last year of his gaming time, and it is from a 2016 game. One of my favourites too. Probably the most fun I've had with a new video game in 2016, I would say. And it's uh, it's the game we know as Very Doom. <laughs> Ryan says, one of my favourite tracks of the year is Rust, Dust and Guts from Very Doom. Not only is it one of the thrashiest metal pieces on the soundtrack, but I really love the textual elements of it. There's a strange noise that plays through portions of the song that sounds like a mixture of a voice crying out in agony and an inorganic, mechanised howl of an engine. To my ears, it actually sounds quite a bit like a TIE fighter, but I don't think that was the intended touch point. Later, there is a subtle vibration noise that sounds like a cell phone on silent, and it creates a very warm and comfortable timbre. When listened to with headphones to contrast the aggressiveness of the rest of this piece. That is all to say that there's a lot going on in this piece of music and it's one of the best of 2016 for me. Let's hear it. Mick Gordon's astonishing soundtrack to Very Doom and this is Rust, Dust and Guts.
Welcome back to Sound of Play, seven <laughs> minutes and 41 seconds later. Uh, what a piece of music, what a soundtrack and what a game, dare I say. Uh, if, if I was going to be hyperbolic about anything I've played in recent times, uh, I just finally got around to playing through that at the start of the seasonal holidays and it was as much fun as I'd been led to believe. Yeah, I have, uh, um, I, I played through at a friend's house uh, the first level and thought, oh, I'm bad at this. I should not. I, <laughs> I can't really do this. And then I saw it for like $20 on Amazon and thought, okay, well, I can't really pass that up because by the time I saw it, it was, it had been so, uh, so beloved by so many people whose opinions that I trust that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't very well pass that up. So I haven't played it through in full yet. Um, when I do, it will probably be on easy because I'm not very good at twitchy okay. shooters. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think that even on easy, it's probably going to be fun enough to, uh, to just I kind think of so. get, uh, get myself through. Yeah, and uh, it's it's. I had such a lot of fun with it. That mm -hmm. As soon as I finished it, uh, I started playing the um, the later uh, edition that was the arcade mode that they oh. they patched in, and it's a fantastic, uh, I think, score attack um, mm -hmm. mode that's built around combos and multipliers, and uh, it makes it. Yeah, it's just oh, it's like um, I don't know if you ever played the 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 legendary mercenaries mode of Resident Evil Four. Um, it's it's kind of along those lines in that it oh, takes cool. the core the core gameplay of of the the game the single player game that people love and then adds a kind of score attack mechanic to it and I'm a sucker for score attack games yeah. and <laughs> scoring mechanisms and stuff and you know it's just got all the the endorphin triggers of mm -hmm. medals and, and and lots of alerts coming up on screen and a big multiplier thing and yeah it's uh, I, I just had a huge huge blast with it but i but i will say um other opinions are available jay uh, our jay who's editing this show and whose track is coming up tried the demo and hated it uh he thought it was you know just too too much too fast too full on he likes he prefers games where you can you know kind of uh kind of str strategize and and mm -hmm. be tactical and, and and this is not that game this is pure balls to the wall shoot 'em up uh and similarly uh, our our james um yeah, Jay and James, both the Jays, uh, did not or do not get on with this game. James has, has tried a few times to get into it and finds it quite dull and uh, tends to drift drift away after a short period of time. Mm. He also prefers kind of, you know, thoughtful plotting and stealth gaming and stuff like that. So it's almost like different people have different preferences and experiences Go with the same bigger. games. <laughs> I know. Who knew? Uh I know. Well, it seems like a lot of the internet doesn't know. No, um, uh, that's that seems to be uh, something that you kind of have to come around to. <laughs> the internet it. hasn't quite gotten there yet. This is what we're. This is what. Yeah, this is what we're working so hard on with Kane and Rince to uh, to to get across the fact. In fact, it came up as regards to the very next game that we're we're mm -hmm. going to feature a, a piece from uh, Jay because the Last Guardian uh, obviously protracted uh, development incredibly so. Yes. Um, story development. Uh, it finally did really happen. It came out a few weeks ago. People have played it. It's been um, met with a mixed reception, as as most games are to an, to some extent or another. But I think more so here because uh, it uh, it seems to for most people fulfill its remit in terms of providing uh, a touching and emotional experience and for those people who who value that above like pure mechanics gaming mechanics and and the you know the feel and control and things like that it works for them however there are other people who maybe value the story and stuff lower down in the game and they might they might love something like Mario where the story is almost 
non-existent, but the controls are, you know, spit spot and yeah. whatever. Uh, but um, uh, they might struggle with the the slightly irksome and pernickety controls of a team eco game. Uh, so yes, we've we've had that you know that conversation again very recently, and 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 you see these pointless tit for tats with people going at each other, saying no, it is this, no, it is that. Mm-hmm. No, the truth is, it's both. It's neither. It's it's whatever you take from it, right? Yeah, I've been uh, I've been looking into the Last Guardian. I, I I do have a copy of it that I have not started yet. I played Eco for the first time last year. Right. And I really wanted to love it because it mm-hmm. seems like it should be a game that I would love. Yeah. And in some ways I do, but those controls are so frustrating coming to it now. Um, mm-hmm. Because you just you expect something different. You've been conditioned to expect something different, mm. and I'm a little bit afraid that the Last Guardian is going to have that effect on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I still intend to play it because I I have an Amazon wish list uh, that I've had forever, and uh, on this wish list there is uh, a PS3 copy of the Last Guardian from like 2007, um, and I won't take it off of there because I just at this point it's a historical artifact. I want it to stay there. <laughs> and it says next to it, you know, this this item is no oh, right. longer available. But um, yeah, it's, oh, yeah, I just want to know how long that has been sitting there. <laughs> and uh, the answer is a very long time. But uh, huh. I do intend to play The Last Guardian. And um, some of the music that I've heard from it so far is uh, is beautiful. Uh, so mm. I'm sure that in presentation, at least, it will be worth playing through it for me. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll see about the mechanics, but um, I'm, I'm definitely going to uh, to go through it. I think uh, lovers of of cute CGI animals are, are certainly going to get something out of it. it. Sounds like they've nailed they've nailed the whole yes. uh, empathy for for Trico thing. Yes. Yeah, I, I, funnily enough, mine. Um, you know, I I think I'd be a, a little bit gutted if I'd paid full whack for this when it came out like three weeks ago because it's already gone down to twenty five pound over here. So that's when I ordered my copy when it dropped to twenty five pounds. So it's no longer on my Amazon wish list because uh, because I've I got mine it, in but, a uh, in a buy two get one at uh, Best Buy. So uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, they're killing us with sales at the I moment. Know, all the, I have such all the a stack. <laughs> physical and digital services. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Jay, uh, as we say, uh, he he's been looking forward to this game for the longest time. Uh, he's a huge fan of the studio. Um, his uh, his wife, uh, in fact, has met uh, Ueda oh, cool. San uh, on more than one occasion. I think um, got some signed uh, postcards signed. I have a, I have an eco one here. Um, so yeah, he was he was made up for this game, and and uh, I think for him it it fulfilled what he wanted. He says my pick has to come from what is my most recently played game, and possibly the one I've waited the longest period of time to actually play. The trekking question being Finale Two: Escape from the Last Guardian. Needless to say, I was genuinely moved by the game and the journey it took me on. And Takeshi uh, Takeshi Furukawa's rousing score, but especially this particular track brings the memories of those special moments from the game flooding back each time I hear it. From its early moments with the pensive horns, which strangely remind me of a John Williams score uh, for Saving Private Ryan, Mm. to its full-blown orchestral grandeur, complemented with the beautiful choral singing of the Trinity Boys Choir and London Voices, it never fails to tighten my throat and mist my eyes with its powerful and poignant composition.
And that was Takeshi Furukawa and Finale 2 Escape. Could be a spoiler, uh, the fact that it's called that, but I don't think so. It's, yeah, from The Last Guardian, six minutes and 38 seconds of uh, orchestral beauty there. We have but two tracks to go. Uh, Leah, perhaps you could take the intro to James's sure. selection. Yeah, so uh, we, we started out the show with a, uh, a track from No Man's Sky, and uh, James has chosen another one. Uh, and he says, on Sound of Play 62, I considered myself lucky to have been the first to pick a track from No Man's Sky. I picked the first track from 65 Days of Static's OST, No Man's Sky, Music for an Infinite Universe. I explained that since it was used in trailers for the game, in many ways, the track, Monolith, was the perfect opening to the game and the soundtrack capturing the full spectrum of what the game had to offer. It's promise. Now, at the end of 2016, it seems fitting to sum up what could kindly be called a memorable year with another track from one of its most memorable games. The closing track on the OST, End of the World Sun, is transcendental for me. It builds to a sustained crescendo as if mimicking a ship rising to soar over a vast and wondrous landscape. Seven minutes later, as it closes sharply with an ominous reverberation that brings to mind the distant echo of hollow metal hitting solid rock, I find myself hoping it isn't the end of the world, Sun. So, this is End of the World, Sun by 65 Days of Static from No Man's Sky.
another epic piece there seven minutes yes and uh yeah i really love that like uh i don't own any 65 days of static but every piece i've heard from the no man's sky soundtrack both playing it and listening to it outside it sounds totally mm-hmm. up my alley like the kind of music i would listen to uh yeah, outside sure. of outside of games and uh yeah end of the world son mm-hmm. um is that end of the world son or end of the world son i'm not entirely sure uh but uh, I like it. Uh, yeah, so, but uh, I decided, see, we could have ended on that because it, it's got an end of year, end of show kind of feel and it would have perhaps been appropriate uh, for the year that we have had, I think, for many of us, uh, particularly those of us who are of a certain mind, have been uh, fairly dismayed by global events in the past year and uh, and also the many, many uh, celebrity deaths, high-profile people uh today just yesterday we heard of george michael yeah. uh the the latest in a long line of far too young musical icons whether you're a fan or not it's hard not to be in some way affected by this sort of this relentless what feels like a relentlessness and of course the fact that it is all taking place within a calendar year is completely like arbitrary like sure. we 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 made we made up the years and the months and 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 the 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 dates and you know the gregorian calendar and all that that's an in, entirely man-made construct it's it just so happens that you know starting with david bowie and and through prince and and god so many people i'm not going to even attempt to name them all i probably forget some and that would be insulting in itself but it does feel like you know the world of of talented creative people has been somehow you know cursed this year especially when you see some of those people who are still alive who rather had died instead um, but it is also exactly <laughs> exactly and it's also worth remembering that there are still plenty of uh, you know there are still plenty of uh, great wonderful talented people in the world who, who are not going to pass away in 2016 um, it just yeah it just kind of feels that way and so yeah I, I was tempted to uh, <laughs> to end with that track but instead uh, after I've <laughs> After I've done a bit of housekeeping, we're going to end on a on a much more positive note, as we like to do with Cane and Rinse. Uh, and yes, on that score, remember, please do venture over to our forum at caneandrinse.com slash forum. Uh, you can also, of course, follow us on Twitter at Cane and Rinse. Uh, you can use the hashtag Sound of Play if you want to request a piece of music or give us any feedback to the Sound of Play podcasts. We also have a Facebook page. And thanks to a bit of uh, cajoling on the part of Jay, uh we managed to finally get over 1000 page likes uh, facebook.com slash canerince we're now on i think 1008 at the time of recording um because uh jay said he would release the teaser for the list of volume six podcasts if we got over a thousand likes and it worked so yeah that's how that works uh, but yes, continue to request your favourite pieces of music or curios or just things that make you feel a certain way and tell us why. And we'll continue to include a selection uh, in each regular sound of play. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast on uh, on iTunes if you don't already. Give us a review or rating. We're still lacking those for sound of play. Uh, we got plenty, plenty for Cana Rinse, although we could always do with more. Um, but uh, sound of play still needs more ratings and reviews. It does help the podcast profile because the uh particularly on apple the their their sort of algorithms take into account not only download numbers but also uh sort of popularity and interaction and various stuff that i don't really understand but the more the more attention you pay us the better it is basically uh and also we have a patreon patreon.com slash uh, it operates currently as an online donation box or a tips jar, if you like. 
Uh, if you feel that the many hours and all the effort we put into making these shows, uh, which hopefully uh, brighten up your day or your week uh, and entertain you in some way, if you think that's worth some uh, remuneration, then you can donate just a dollar a month or whatever you think, whatever you can afford online and it's incredibly gratefully received and ploughed back into the production of Cana Rinse and Sound of Play. Uh, if you don't think that we should ask for money, don't forget the, wor the work of uh, Special Effect, who are an amazing video games-based charity who uh, make c custom controllers for people who need uh, a differently shaped controller, for instance, or a different way of interfacing with a game that uh, so that they can continue to game even when uh, situation means that they haven't been able to and stuff like that. So yeah, special effect, check them out. Uh, I'll thank you, Leah, at this point for joining me. Stop it being a monologue show uh, this end of year. Thanks for joining me on this and thanks for joining us on the team. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, I've, I've loved every moment of it. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I hope long may that continue. Uh, we don't, once people are part of it, they, they very seldom drift away again. Um, we managed to hold on. Uh, we haven't upset too many people in our time. So hopefully that will continue. Very little drama, very little beef. Uh, uh, and yes, thank you again to all our community contributors and all our listeners throughout 2016. Uh, keep those requests coming. Uh, a very happy new year. I know in some parts of the world it isn't uh, officially new year at this point, but uh, for many of us it will be on the 1st of January. And so uh, with that, it comes to our Darren's selection uh, and it's appropriate. Yeah, which mm. which made me uh, which made it a little dusty in here. So thanks a lot for that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's appropriate on a number of levels, partly because of the the, the Legend of Zelda series that we've been doing on Kane and Rinse throughout the year. It's a huge undertaking and uh, it's, it's going well. We've kept it up. Uh, we've still got a little little way to go before it's completed. But, um, you know, they said it couldn't be done, but uh, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're getting there. Uh, but another thing they said couldn't be done would be that uh, Darren Gargett would uh, reproduce. And, uh, and yet and yet somehow... Uh, well, here's his dedication. August 31st, 2016. Ivy Gargett clocking in at seven weeks and one day. Before work, I look after Ivy whilst getting ready. At this stage, she used to lie in her Moses basket and gawp at the ceilings and or our stupid faces. This particular morning, I felt adventure and stuck this tune on and sang along to it. Before I knew it, for the first time, Ivy raised more than just the smirk and gave me what I can only see as a ray of light beaming into my brain. Parenthood has plenty of these moments, and we're only five to six months in, but this one in particular stood out. She's currently using a toad as a teaver. Uh, that's a Mario toad, not just a random amphibian. It's safe to say we're going to enjoy the Nintendo Switch together one day. So yeah, this is, uh, what else could it be? This is the title theme from the original The Legend of Zelda, and I've selected uh, the Famicom disc version because why not? It's got an extra channel of sound. So enjoy this. And uh, and we'll see you back here in 2017. <laughs> 